0: We're wrapping up our series on Acts 1 and 2 this morning by reading Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. These verses come right after thousands of people have repented and been baptized and become believers in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's read God's word this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. The story is told of a young man who didn't want to get up and go to church one Sunday morning. He'd slept through his alarm, and he was giving every indication that he was going to sleep through the service too. So his mother finally went up to his room and told him it was time to get up. He mumbled something like, a few minutes, a few minutes. So she went back downstairs and waited for a while. And then she went back up after he'd been asleep for a few more minutes and told him in her best mothering voice that it was time to get up now. Her son rolled over, glared at her, and said, I don't want to go to church today. It's not much fun. Nobody there likes me. I don't want to go. Well, the mother and son kept arguing for a while, and finally the mother snapped. Young man, you are getting out of bed now, and you are going to church this morning. You are the pastor, and you have to be there. All right, so that's a little bit of a lame story, and I doubt it ever actually happened. But there is something about Sunday morning that makes it hard to get going, even for preachers sometimes. C.S. Lewis used to tell the story of how any morning of the week he could get up early and do fine. But somehow on Sunday mornings, it just seemed like nothing would go right. And you might have had similar experiences, maybe even this morning everybody rushes like crazy to get ready to go and you can't find your keys and at least one of the kids has mismatched shoes and you get halfway to church and you realize no one left the dog no one let the dog out and you didn't lock the house and then you spend the rest of the way to church fighting about whose fault all of that was and then you park you put on your happy faces and we all come into worship together and that's just sunday morning and then there's all kinds of other church stuff that we do. There's meetings, there's all kinds of stuff to deal with. And we're asked to teach Sunday school or help in the nursery or help fix this thing or that thing up. And along with all of that, none of us are perfect. And so we always have to do a little bit of getting along with people in the church. And so it's natural sometimes to wonder why we even keep doing all these things. Why do we do this church thing? What's the point? And now, of course, you all know that I'm going to say there is a point to doing this church thing and that we should keep doing it. But I want to pose that question to help us think this morning about what it means to be part of the church and to pay attention to some of the things that we do and the reasons that we have for doing them. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see an ideal picture of the church. A lot of amazing things are happening in these verses. Everyone in Jerusalem was filled with awe at what what was happening among the believers. The apostles were doing signs and wonders. The believers were in incredibly tight community. All the people were looking at them with favor. And the Lord was adding daily to the number of those who were being saved. Incredible things were happening there and then. And we we can continue to pray for incredible things to happen in the here and now. But at the same time, in these verses, intermixed with all these incredible things, Luke also gives us a picture of some ordinary things happening within the fellowship of believers. In our own Christian lives, we may sometimes see some really spectacular things happen, but we often live in the mundane reality of ordinary, routine faith. There was a time in the Old Testament when the prophet Elijah was running away from trouble and he went and hid in a cave in the mountain. And after a while, the Lord came to Elijah and told, out, told him to go out and stand before God on the mountainside. And then as Elijah went out, a great wind came, and it tore up the mountainside and broke the rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. And then after the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in that either. And then after the earthquake came a great fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then finally, a gentle whisper came, And then Elijah went out to meet with God who had come to speak to him in that gentle, mundane whisper. Our experience of the Christian life is mostly like that whispering that Elijah heard. God sometimes comes to us with miracles, winds, earthquakes, and fire, but more often God works in our lives through whispers and hints and through the regular life of faithfulness and fellowship. So for us today... What's the whisper? How is God speaking to us? Well, these verses from Acts 2 whisper to us, and they tell us that after the fire and the excitement of Pentecost comes the life of the church. It's in the midst of our regular, everyday lives, and it's often through these mundane activities that God gathers, protects, and preserves us as his people. So we keep doing this church thing because this is the place and this is the people where God is at work. The point of coming to church, the point of being part of this fellowship is that this is where we find God's truth and God's people. This is the place that faith brings us and this is where we find God at work. And our passage for today shows us that God works in a lot of ways. God works in many, many ways to graciously stoop down and provide for us, his people. And in particular, Acts 2.42 shows us that the believers grew in their faith as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. After Pentecost, the believers were gathering together all the time to listen to the apostles teach them. Now, these apostles were men who had spent years close to Jesus. They had seen and touched his resurrected body, and they had seen him ascend to heaven. They had been filled in an extraordinary way by the Holy Spirit, and they were preaching and teaching in incredible, unique, empowered ways. Now, of course, today we don't get to hear the apostles themselves, but we do continue to have apostolic teaching available to us. As time passed and the disciples aged and died, the church and the church continued to grow and expand. The apostles put a lot of their stories about Jesus into writing, along with instructions about how Christians should live and about what we should believe. And those documents came together in the New Testament. We don't have the living apostles speaking to us anymore, but we do continue to have God's living word speaking to us today in this book. In this Very book, God continues to speak to us in amazing ways. Now, having a book to read probably seems less dramatic than seeing signs and wonders, but in some ways, this is a much more concrete and much more stable gift from God. We have the Word of God in this book, He has given it to us, and it is always available. You can't walk out these doors and be guaranteed a sign or a vision, but we do have the guarantee that every time we open and read the Bible, we are reading inspired, true, and useful words from God. That doesn't mean we can open the Bible up randomly and receive some sort of special insight, but it does mean that we have God's Word available and present with us all the time. And what's more, we don't read the Bible on our own. We have hundreds and hundreds of years of guides to show us the way into the scripture and to open up what they have to say to us. We today are part of a community of faith that goes all the way back to the apostles' teaching in Acts 2. And all the way back way, way before that through God's work with his people from the beginning of time. This morning before the sermon, we recited the words of the apostles' creed. And those words are a statement of faith. It wasn't put together by the apostles themselves, but the church over the generations and centuries had said, yes, this captures what the apostles taught. Well, when we recited those words, we joined with a community of faith that has been saying those words for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. When we recite the creeds together and when we hear the New Testament stories we still hear the apostles speaking to us today. And we still need these things to lead and guide us. We need the Bible, and we need the creeds and the long history of the church to give us a solid foundation for belief. If we don't hold on to the Bible, if we don't let the teachings of the holy apostolic church guide us, we often lose the thread of the gospel story, and we go wandering off on our own side paths and we lose hold of the good news and of God's guidance for our lives. We need to be part of the historic and the present community of faith. We in the church are really part of one big body. And just like it'd be ridiculous for an eye or a hand or a foot to try to get by on its own, it's ridiculous for us to expect that any of us can get by on our own without the fellowship of believers. If we think about the church as one body with many members, it changes our priorities. The question isn't, what can I do for others after I have enough time and enough money and enough energy for myself? It's not about how we can keep our own individual selves comfortable. The question instead is, how can we contribute to the building up of the whole body? That's what the believers were doing in Jerusalem. When people were in need, Other people would sell something else and provide for them. They understood that everything, all time, all money, everything, ultimately belongs to God. And if they were part of the body of Christ, they were willing to make individual sacrifices for the good of the whole fellowship. Today, everything that we are and everything that we own still belongs to God. And we're called to share what God has given us with others. Now, of course, it's hard to figure out exactly what that looks like. And God calls all of us to different sacrifices at different times. Maybe some of us need to have the challenge to give up on a little bit of our leisure time or a little bit of the luxuries that we buy. And maybe some of us are called now to make some really serious sacrifices at this time and place. But how to figure that out is hard. And there aren't always clear, cut and dried answers for us. But then the important thing isn't that we figure all the details out exactly right and we give exactly the right percentage of our time and our money. What's really important is that we're involved in the fellowship of the church where we take care of each other and where we grow together. This isn't about finger shaking and calls to do this or else. This is about experiencing the reality of the new life that we have as part of Christ's body. Life in the church should look like people being really together and sharing their lives. Life in the church should look like all of us laying down our own interests and looking out for the interests of others. This week, I read an article by James K.A. Smith, who's a philosophy professor at Calvin College. And you can tell he's a philosophy professor because he has two middle initials, James K.A. Smith. Anyway, in this article... Smith writes about how in our culture we've been conditioned to view marriage and to view all relationships as being basically a means to self-fulfillment. The dating shows, wedding shows, the music we listen to, all the noise that we hear in our culture portrays even our most intimate relationships as a means to self-fulfillment. And Smith contrasts what he calls this romantic mythology of self-fulfillment with a picture of an open household of faith. And in this household of faith that we share together, we invite others into our fellowship with wide open arms, and we lean on others in the midst of our struggles. Our culture teaches us to be independent, self-sufficient, and self-focused. But what we need to do is open up our homes and our lives to others instead of shutting them out. We need to lean on others when times are hard, and we need to support others when times are good. Healthy interdependence and wholehearted hospitality ought to mark our lives as believers. Now, of course, sometimes we get it wrong. We mess up, we're selfish, we hurt each other, but sometimes we get it right. And when the fellowship of believers works, when things come together, it is like nothing else on this planet. In seminary, I had to take a a class on the doctrine of the church, and that professor didn't open it it up by giving us some great big theological tome or talking about the ecclesiastical this or that. Instead, he opened with a story. A few years before, this guy had had a really serious stroke, and when he was in the hospital, not sure, not sure if he was going to live or not, not sure what his life was going to look like, the reality of the fellowship of believers came into his life in truly powerful ways that was the lowest point in his life and the church showed up people prayed for him people visited him people took care of his family the church was really his place and his fellowship even in the midst of illness fear and struggle this professor knew books and books and books worth of things that he could have talked about with the church but when it came down to it the experience of the fellowship of believers was still one of the most formative things in his understanding of the church. When times get hard, we as believers need to care for each other and lean on each other. There is nowhere else in this world that we can find a community that will help and carry us through like the church will. This fellowship that we have as believers together is one of the only things we have that will carry us through to the grave and then beyond. Being part of this body means that we together deal with anything and everything that comes up in our lives because we have our common Lord and Savior and we have our fellowship together. We can work through anything together. And sometimes we can overcome it and sometimes all we can do is sit together and outlast our sufferings even if they take us through death and into our new life with Jesus. The fellowship of believers is an eternal reality that we've entered into now already. This is one of God's great gifts to us. Now, along with talking about fellowship, Acts two forty-two through 47 talks about the breaking of the bread. And there has a, there's a couple meanings there. To begin with, the believers break bread when they sit and eat together. So when people eat together with glad and sincere hearts, they're sharing real fellowship. But more than that, more than that, when we break bread, and when Acts talks about breaking bread here, it's quietly pointing us to the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread here in Acts 2 has two dimensions. It points us around to our brothers and sisters in the church, but it also points us up to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we share a tangible sign and symbol of Christ's sacrifice for his body and blood on our behalf. But at the same time, we experience the reality that in Christ, God has made us all part of one body. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. But we also proclaim that God has made us truly one body. And one fellowship. And that body, if it's going to carry on, needs to be oriented always and only toward God and His will. And one way that this finds expression is through continued prayers. The prayer that Acts: 242 talks about isn't just what these believers are doing in their personal quiet times. These prayers help define what the community's life is about together. Prayer matters, and it's one of the key disciplines that we can share as a community. Is to be together in prayer. Let's not have prayer be an afterthought or an also-ran in our churches or in our lives. When we pray, let's mean it, and let's continue together in prayer. After the service this morning, we'll have some people available in room one out the door over there. If you have anything on your heart that you want to share, please go and have people pray with you and share in your struggles, and help you to see how God's grace is at work in your life. Tonight in our evening service, we're going to take some extra time to hear the requests and the joys that we have, and then to pray together about what's going on in our lives and in our world. Now that can easily become just a routine thing, yeah, yeah, we have our prayer request time and then we pray, but let's see it as an opportunity to join together in lifting up our church and in lifting up each other to God's faithful care. When you have the opportunity to pray, pray. When you have the opportunity to do other things, pray. Always, always pray. I was talking to someone once who was part of planning a big event with John Piper, who's kind of a famous pastor. And there was a lot going on. There was a lot to do, a lot of planning that had to happen in a pretty short time. So people wanted to get to work. But Piper stopped them. He stopped the discussion cold and he said, No, we're going to begin with prayer. We can't play the we have lots to do so we aren't going to prayer game. We have lots to do and so we need to take the time to be in serious prayer. Let's have the prayers of our church be central to what we do and to who we are. Let's spend time on our knees. Let's spend time seeking God's will and listening to what he has to say to us. So to come back to the question that I started with, when we're getting ready to come to worship, when we have meetings to come to, things to organize, activities to be part of, why do we keep doing this church thing? It's good for us to pause sometimes and to keep reminding ourselves of why we do what we do and why these things matter. And so we keep participating in the fellowship of believers because this is where God brings us to find salvation and to find His people. We keep coming to church and being part of the fellowship of believers because this is where God meets us. We keep coming to church. We keep being part of the fellowship of believers because this, this body, this community, this place is where we find God's word and God's people and Christ's body given for us and a place to be in prayer together.